So, um, you know, the, the core of what's going on here in Hebrews is this issue of the Jewish believers and their sort of temptation to go back to the Jewish religion. Uh, but it, it certainly has a great deal of application for us in our lives today, in our current circumstances. Uh, you know, the author, I'm going to slip up and say Paul. That's, you know, my own uh, personal opinion and many others, but that, that's not to say it's right. Um, but the author of Hebrews uh, is uh, relaying to the Jewish believers, and we really got to have, again, the gravity of, of what's going on for these dear people at this point. If, if they, uh, as a Jew, choose to worship Jesus Christ, then uh, you know, they're shunned by their community. And you know, it, it's nothing like uh, whatever rejection we might experience uh, in our world today. You know, even in our families, very seldom does it reflect uh, what went on in the Jewish culture. Um, you know, certainly uh, if we, um, you know, profess our faith in Jesus Christ and suddenly our friends don't want to be around us and suddenly co-workers don't want to associate with us and suddenly even family members you know, are saying, we've lost our mind, we've gone crazy, we've joined a cult, you know, all of these different things that come out at us, that, that has a certain level of similarity for what's going on with the Jews at this time, but it was much more complete. They, they on some occasions, the families, if you became a Christian as a Jew, they would have a funeral for you. Uh, if you spoke to them, they would not speak to you. They, you know, be in the same room and try to communicate. They literally treated you as though you were dead. Uh, you would be written out of your inheritance. You're not going to get even the oldest child. You become a Christian. You're not going to get your inheritance. Uh, no one would come in one day. No one would come to your business anymore. Yesterday, you were the biggest business in town. The next day, no one comes to your business. Uh, you're rejected on every level of your society. You, you, your only fellowship suddenly becomes Christian. You know, you can understand uh, how they would, you know, I hate to put it this way, but almost take pride in that. But at the same time, the pressure to go back, you know, the financial pressure, the social pressure of everything they're dealing with. And, uh, you know, it, it involves all of their senses. You know, daily they're going to be smelling the incense uh, that's offered in prayers. Uh, they're going to be uh, smelling the, uh, you know, the, the roast meat that, that is going into the sacrifices. They're going to be, you know, hearing the singing uh, of the priests. Uh, you know, the community around them is entirely engaged in the Jewish religion. You can see how it would sort of become a thing like, well, I mean, you know, how bad is it? You know, we're worshiping the same God. I could, you know, participate to a certain degree with these people. I could, you know, associate myself with the re religion without ever rejecting Christ. And the author of Hebrews is trying to draw their attention to the fact that if you return to these things, then you are, in fact, rejecting Christ. You have been given the superior form of worship, the superior form of sacrifice in Jesus Christ, the superior, now he's going to dwell on the superior priesthood. What would compel you, other than a sinfulness, to go back to the inferior and you can draw from that all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, applications today. You know, you think about what it what it's like to, you know, have all of your friends be non-Christian and the pressure that would be in place to, well, you know, I can hang out with them, but I, I'm not, you know, 
completely buying into the things they buy into. I'll just be quiet when it comes to certain subjects. Here, uh, it very much wants us to focus on uh, staying the course and worshiping Jesus Christ. Here, uh, we, we have in uh, chapter 6, just backing up a little bit, uh, this statement uh, for when God, verse 13, made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself, saying, surely, uh, blessing, I will bless you and multiply, and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men indeed swear by the greater an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an Un, excuse me, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, of which enters the presence behind the of which enters the presence behind the veil. For the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So you have uh, this establishment in the conversation about the priesthood. Of Jesus Christ for the uh, Jewish believer th this is um, almost a betrayal of their faith that they would abandon uh, the priesthood of Aaron that the, the tribe of Levi had been established by Moses and uh, that Aaron and all of his descendants were for you know, all intensive purposes in the mind of the Jew, they were uh, they were an eternal priesthood. They were always going to be the priests between God and man for especially the Jewish people. And now suddenly uh, there is this theme amongst the Christians that they don't need the priesthood. So, so the question comes up of, okay, if we don't need a priesthood, then why did our religion establish so strongly a need for a priesthood? And here the answer is coming that the need for the priesthood was always symbolic of Jesus Christ's role with humanity. Even when Aaron was in place, he was symbolizing Jesus' ministry in that Jesus took the needs and the petitions of the people the sacrifice for sins of the people to God. Jesus was doing that. The priests were doing it, but they were symbolizing Jesus. Jesus was delivering the answers and the provision to the people. You know, there's there's lots of ways to illustrate uh, this this frame of mind. You know, I'm sure. You know, I I I think of many times my children have given gifts right you know they they they're grown now but when they lived at home and their friend was having a birthday party or they wanted to give somebody something for christmas right who's really giving the gift dad's giving the gift right mom's giving the gift you know, the, the the heart's desire of the child is being fulfilled by the parent uh, you know, we see the scripture telling us that there are many ways that the Lord ministers to the human race in particular. Uh, he talks in Hebrews chapter one about the ministry of angels, right? Uh, providing and delivering those answers. We uh, work on behalf of God and minister to people and care for people and give to people. But in the end, it is the Lord who is doing those things. And, and I think it's important that we get the credit where the credit is due, right? You know, pe people will sometimes say uh, to me, oh, you've blessed me so much. Oh, you can't, you know, you've, you've done something for them. And, you know, I'm quick to explain that, look, you need to be grateful to the Lord for this because I know very plainly who I am without the Lord in my life. And you wouldn't want me around. 
If there's no Jesus and will, it's all bad. It, it, you know, it's the, well, I was just say it's, it's the thing that landed me in jail, but really it's the thing that landed me in the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? That, that I made such a mess in my life that Jesus Christ came, rescued me, and put me where I am today. We are a, uh, an extension. I, I want to take this, you know, a little way, so I really want you to grab a hold of this concept completely in, in regard to what a priest is, who he is, what is done. Jesus is that minister, right? He, he is the go-between. Paul told us specifically that there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus made the statement that you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, meaning himself, meaning Jesus. That's been improperly interpreted to mean that the angels were coming to Jesus and ministering to him, and then going away from Jesus to return to the Lord, you know, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The way it's written in the original language literally means Jesus is the ladder, the bridge between heaven and earth. He is the communication. He is the traffic flow. Uh, when we read about Jacob in uh, Genesis, laying his head there on that rock and having that dream and seeing you know, what we now describe as Jacob's ladder and the angels of heaven ascending and descending, Jesus was saying, I'm that ladder. I'm the portal, I'm the source of connection to heaven and earth. So any priesthood that we have ever uh, thought of or you know, conceptualized or even experienced is, is reflective of Jesus. What's most significant about it, and this is what we really need to get a hold of this. Some of us might have come from a Roman Catholic background where there are still priests, right? Jesus, Jesus, and I, people get upset with this, he abolished the priesthood. He abolished all priesthoods because he himself is the only priest. He's the mediator between God and man. There is no longer a need to go to a man in order to get to God, right? My job here is to point you away from myself to that source, to Jesus. You know, uh, people early on in their walk with the Lord, I, I love to see people come to Christ. I love to disciple them, teach them, train them, show them things. But I, um, I try to make very careful sure they understand I'm just your older brother. You know, that, that might be a big deal. Might be a big role, but I'm just an older brother in the Lord. And what I'm doing is pointing you to your heavenly father. And you need to learn to become reliant upon that heavenly father, that you develop your relationship with him. You know, don't stop calling me up and saying, you know, Pastor Will, can you please pray for ABC? Because, you know, I'm glad to do that. But know for certain that what I'm going to be doing is pointing you back to that resource, that source, that that is Jesus Christ. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. He's having to untrain these people who, who are completely enveloped in the concept of my access point to God is that man. I, I go see this guy. He's got special clothes. He's got special fragrance. He's got special building. He's got special. All that is God is associated with him. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that was all supposed to point you towards the actual resource, which is Jesus Christ himself. So this, this priesthood that he's now pointing to because they, they have, we use that term Aaronic, meaning descended from Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. Okay, so uh, the priesthood is now changed. And, and all of the Jews are like, well, how, how could that be? Because God is the one who put in place that Aaron was going to be the source of the priests, and all of the priests would descend from his family. 
So how in the world could it be that you know we're suddenly rejecting that priesthood? And the author of Hebrews is pointing to a moment in their history back in Genesis chapter 14 where Abraham, right, the father of their faith, is returning from having saved his nephew Lot and the occupants of Sodom and Gomorrah and you know all that had been captured by the confederacy of kings. He and his men went and captured those kings and destroyed their armies and freed those people. And as he's returning, chapter 14, Melchizedek comes and meets him and brings bread and wine. We talked about this last week. That is most significant because... It's going to be hundreds of years later that Moses, so we're at Abraham at that point, and it's going to be hundreds of years later when Moses establishes the priesthood of Aaron. So at the beginning of the Jewish faith with Abraham, here comes Melchizedek, and he brings bread and wine to share with Abraham, the symbols of our religion, our new covenant, which Jesus establishes, you know, even thousands of years after that, at the Last Supper, right? Breaks the bread, gives the wine. This is, you know, the sign of the new covenant uh, in, in my blood, you know, the whole ceremony that's given to us there. These are our elements as New Testament Christians given before, it's weird, before the Old Testament was given, you have Melchizedek. And what's most significant, and the author of Hebrews is going to point it out, is that Abraham gives him tithe, one-tenth of all of his possessions. Okay, that's a clear, and there's you know people that argue about it's an indicator that we must give a tithe as New Testament Christians, and that's worthy of discussion. I don't think it's accurate. I think we should be tithing, but I don't think it's accurate that Melchizedek is that sign. Okay, I don't mean to confuse us with the issue. What I want to get to is the fact that Abraham gives Melchizedek one-tenth is a sign that God is giving Abraham religious approval of Melchizedek. There's no way God would... Uh, lead Abraham to pay a pagan priest 10% of his income. God is uh, you know, speaking to Abraham's heart and giving him approval, which gives the Jewish people the indication that, hey, the priesthood of Melchizedek was okay. Right? If there was something missing, if there was something wrong with it, then the scripture would have showed us that this Melchizedek, think about this, right? Balaam is a prophet, right? And he comes, but he's, he's a sinful man, and he is a false teacher, and he leads the people of Israel into sin. So all through that situation, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, speaks disparagingly of Balaam. Balaam has a relationship with God. Balaam communicates with God. Balaam communicates on behalf of God. But all along the way, God is saying, this guy's bad. Pay no attention to him. Don't follow his example, right? And we get to the book of Jude, where we're told about false teachers, and we're even told that the error of Balaam is that he was in it for the money. Not so with Melchizedek. Melchizedek has God, the Holy Spirit, the, the Word of God's approval from beginning to end. It isn't just significant for the Jews. It's significant for us this evening. Because we don't need to put any man into that slot. Right? The, the veil in the temple at this time was 10 inches thick, 80 feet tall. There were priests in the temple at the hour that Jesus was crucified. They, it was the hour of prayer. So they were in there offering incense before the Lord when the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. When that, when that veil was hung there, it took more than a hundred priests. According to Josephus, it took more than a hundred priests to lift 
that veil into place and hang it between the holy place and the holy of holies. Ten inches thick, 80 feet high, as I said. It was torn from the top to the bottom. It was the priests that witnessed that. The, the symbolism is, right, the veil, only the high priest can go behind the veil, right? Once a year for the sins of the people. And God rips that out of the way so that there is free access into the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, what is referred to as the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing God's throne. God symbolically showed, look, I'm going to rip this out of the way, thereby nullifying right, the priesthood. Not that he abolished it, right, but that he brought what was superior. You, know, you never want to go back to what is inferior when you have that which is superior. Uh, the technology is an easy example of that, right? We, I've talked a million times. This, this phone right here, uh, I have almost a terabyte of storage space on a, a micro SD card that's inside this thing. And I, I can remember... Uh, when we finally got to one gigabyte of RAM, everybody was like, awesome. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I just built a computer last winter that had 128 gigs of RAM in it. You know, some of you are like, and what is RAM? You know, <clears throat> nobody, nobody wants to, anybody, anybody want to go back to the bag phone? Right. 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 I know Gary. <laughs> They are superior. The, the superior has come in the capability of this phone. You know, lame example in comparison to God. The Aaronic the priesthood was inferior. The superior priesthood of Jesus has come. You don't have to go through a man. Oh, oh imagine the heartache that would be spared humanity if, if it had not had that incorrect desire to go through another human being to find God. Th think about the heartache we're hearing in the news right now, right? Another priest molesting children, you know, you know, there'd have been a thousand souls saved that didn't follow after Jim Jones down to Guyana, Right. Uh, how many people would have been spared if they had not followed Bhagwan Rajneesh? How many people would have survived if they hadn't followed David Koresh? We have free access with, with prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Right? You have what you personally need. We then collectively are commanded in this book of Hebrews that we're currently studying to gather together that we minister to one another as brothers and sisters because we can get warped on our own. So we need the correction of one another. I need to be corrected by you. You need to be corrected by me. We keep one another in balance. We're supposed to do that. But the free access to God. I mean, do we truly understand how powerful this is? Do we really understand that you can go to God and say, I'm in need of these circumstances. Please provide for me. You know, I have shared, I don't have my wife's permission directly, but, you know, when we were young, we got in a lot of trouble with our marriage. It was a disaster. And uh, we separated for a period of time. And she called me up. I had called her regularly and told her that I wanted to put our marriage back together. And she called me up and said, are you serious? You want to put our marriage back together? I said, yes. She said, I can move back and we can put our marriage back together day after tomorrow. Uh, yeah, right. I got like no provision for my family. And suddenly, now I've got to make do. I fell right on my knees and began to pray. And it was crazy. You know, what do you got to get an apartment? So, 
open up the newspaper and just start running down and making phone calls. And, well, here's a number. And I call it up. And uh, guy says, yeah, um, the house, it's not an apartment. I thought it was an apartment. He had, it's a whole house, he says. Oh, well, where is it located? He gives me the address. I'm like, that's right up the road from where I am right now. He said, really? Yeah, you're, you're, right, you're right down there? Yeah. I said, who is this? He says, Ron. I said, Ron that I grew up with? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you can rent it from me. In fact, uh, take like a quarter of the cost off, you know, for the monthly rent. I'll give it to you. I'm like, well, you know, uh, first, last month, uh, security deposit, none of that, he says. Just, in fact, the key is right there by the door. Go up and check it out right now. You want it. It's yours. I literally walked up the road and opened the door and, you know, this little house. Okay, so we'll take this house, but it's unfurnished. I got no furniture. You know, I make one phone call and I get three phone calls back. Yeah, in fact, so-and-so is moving uh, right now and they were, you know, going to have a yard sale. But if you can take all of the furniture from their house, like, uh, just come get it. It was one after another, you know, uh, you know, Lori, before I can get her back here, uh, I, you know, she's got a job at the place I work. My boss just here. So you guys come back, call your wife, tell her, come in and talk to me. I'll give her a job. I mean, there were hard times. Don't, don't, under, don't misunderstand me. Right. It wasn't all peaches and cream. There were very difficult things. But what I quickly learned is that if I will turn my heart to the Lord, he will be right there with me. Amen. And he'll walk through these things with me. This, this is what he wants. I didn't have to go find a priest. I didn't have to go find some pastor and say, listen, I brought this chicken. We cut its head off, you know, burn it in a fire and do your hocus pocus because I, I need stuff. I just went to the Lord and asked and he made provision for us. You know, he's, as I said, he's taught me that I also have to fight for what I need. I have to work very hard for what I need. But he's there sustaining us. Such, such good God that we serve. Such living, powerful God. Not like the gods of the world that are fake and hollow and empty and imaginary. You know, all the things that the, the world accuses our God of being is what, in fact, their gods are. Are. Our God is present for this Melchizedek. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That's Genesis 14 18 through 20. Uh, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated. King of Righteousness, the Melchizedek, King of Salem. The uh, original translation was King of Righteousness. And then also King of Salem, meaning King of Peace. Uh, we, we have several things that are thought about Melchizedek. He was a real character in Old Testament history. He's not imagination. He's not storybook. He was a real individual. Uh, the history is muddy and lost. And so throughout history, different groups have collected bits and pieces and insisted, okay, this is who he was, or that is what he was, right? You have uh, the righteous son of Noah, Seth, or, you know, Seth descended uh, from Adam, and they want to insist that, you know, this Seth uh, was the one who either he was a descendant, that Melchizedek was a descendant of Seth, or that Seth taught him the things. We don't know this. It would be nice to know this. Others insist that uh, Melchizedek was, in fact, what some theologians refer to as a Christophany, meaning uh, that he was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Um, I hesitate to tell you that's my personal opinion. It is my personal opinion, but I have no way of verifying that. 
right? And it is, I should be very clear, it's very possible that that's not the case, right? Uh, we see some things in the language, even in these verses, that indicate that that's not entirely, you know, uh, accurate. So, uh, you know, it's my personal opinion. Who was Melchizedek? We don't know. We know he was priest of the Most High God, number one. Without question, the scripture tells us that. And that Abraham honored him in worship and in tithes and offerings. So his priesthood is firmly established in the Old Testament. Now, here's the thing. You're going to run into different commentaries, teachers, pastors, who insist this Melchizedek is inconsequential. He's so minor. He's in a few verses in the Old Testament. Well, he's significant enough that the, the scripture records him, the Holy Spirit records him, and then more than a thousand years later, we're going to see it here in just a moment, uh, King David prophesies of Jesus and says that he's of the order of Melchizedek. So the Holy Spirit records him in history and then reiterates him more than a thousand years later, and then here we are in the New Testament, and we are being told and taught in detail about Melchizedek. So anyone that tries to be dismissive, I think, is quite short-sighted. So king of righteousness and king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy. That's the first indicator that I'm probably incorrect because we know who Jesus' mother was. Mary. Here, he has no mother. So Melchizedek, as far as we know, we don't know who his genealogy is, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like the son of man right not was the son of man did not come as the son of man he was like unto and the language seems to indicate that very thing remains a priest continually now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch abraham gave a tenth of the spoils and you've got to understand how significant that is for the Jews, right? Abraham is the end all of their religion because he was the first to have met with God and he was the first to have received the covenant from God and he is the first to have established their faith in the one true living God, Yahweh. So if Abraham participated in this, then it absolutely must be a verifiable entity in their faith. So as far as shifting their mindset from that physical priesthood over to Jesus being the spiritual and the mystical priesthood, uh, it, it is a complete transition for the Jewish believers at this point. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. They descended from Abraham themselves. And he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now listen, as strange as it is to word it this way, for the Jews, this is critical, that Melchizedek was not Jewish. Right? Uh, that's strange to even word it that way. If the scripture didn't word it that way, it might even be sacrilegious for me to say such a thing. But here the scripture just said Melchizedek was not one of their descendants. He didn't come from Abraham. He met Abraham. The reason they're called Jews is because they all descend from Abraham. Melchizedek does not. So, so Jesus is of that order in the idea that you know he's from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. So when the question comes up, how in the world could Jesus possibly be our high priest because he's not a descendant from Aaron or from Levi? The answer is neither was Melchizedek. Jesus is of that priesthood. Genealogy is not derived from them, 
received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is better. Uh, excuse me, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Levi descended from Abraham. Therefore, whoever Abraham honored, Levi was honoring because he came from Abraham. It's sort of a strange legal uh, mystical look at things. Uh, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Interesting concept that they put forward here. Uh, but as far as the spiritual concept for the Jews, it's very applicable. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Listen, if the author of Hebrews just shows up on the scene and starts writing this about the order of Melchizedek, then you could question it. But he's going to make the point that, look, David, right in the middle of this, as a prophet of God, makes the statement that the Son of God will be of the order of Melchizedek. So, so here, the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Moses gave no indication that there would be a priesthood established from anyone else. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arise another priest. Who has come, not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of of an endless life for he testifies yet you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek so Psalm 110 verse 4 is what's being spoken of there what is most significant listen if I've just sort of lost you in the biblical history lesson here there's a really great personal application for all of us this evening the whole of this is being brought up and delivered this way because the people have it in their mind, I've got to do something in order to be accepted by God, right? Um, that is a human condition. And I, I'll be really blunt. It's a sinful frame of mind that if I do something, then, then my heavenly father will accept me. Okay, listen. <clears throat> my grandkids don't, my kids don't have to do anything to be accepted by me. They, they are my children. And, uh, you know, they, they have been sinful human beings, just like I have been. You know, my grandkids, uh, you know, almost everybody here has made comment to uh, little Benjamin, his crystal blue eyes, and he's got that perfect little smile and those white chiclet little teeth, and he just, you know, he can be just raising cane and look at you and go, hi, you know, and you forget everything, right? <clears throat> well, he's hit a phase in the past couple of weeks where it's literally become defiance. It's clicked in his head that, you know, I might not have to listen to these people. And, uh, you know, he was at my house yesterday and a few different times I would say something about don't do that. Or, and, uh, he would stop for half a second 
and look at me to see how committed I was to carrying out, you know, following through. But it didn't matter. Whether I was partially or completely or not at all committed, he was really only giving me the glance out of habit because he was still going to continue on into whatever he was doing. Defiance has kicked in. There's nothing in me that is now saying, ah, I don't know if I want this kid. Right? He can't do it to us. We love him. He belongs to us. He is ours. He is mine. So it is with you and God. If, if you have asked God to make you his child, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. We, we have the character of God is constantly being lied about. Our enemy especially, and the world helps a lot, to tell lies about the Heavenly Father as though a relationship with Him is conditional. And it's not. All you got to do is ask for it. If you've asked, this is what the author of Hebrews is telling these people. You do not have to take a sacrifice to the temple anymore. Jesus Christ filled that sacrificial role. He hung on the cross and he died. All of the sacrifices are contained in Jesus. Now listen, do I want Ben to stop with the defiance issue? Of course, right? What's the biggest reason, right? It, 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 the biggest reason is it's going to benefit him, okay? One, he's not going to be disciplined if he just does. But also, we, we know, right? We're all, all of us in the room old enough to know that those acts of defiance lead that little guy into circumstances that do him no good. They can even harm him sometimes. You know, he got his little footstool out, the one that goes to get up to the sink, he brushes his little teeth. He got his little footstool out and put it up a center counter that we have in our house, and he was leaning so far into it, that shot out from underneath his feet, first thing to hit the floor was the front of his forehead. Even a nice little egg right there. A little dark spot now. Had he not defied me about getting up to that counter, that would not have cost him that. How many times have you stuck your hand in something that you knew you weren't supposed to do? And God didn't have to send on a lightning bolt and fry you right there on the spot. Your circumstances were enough to generate regret. The command in the scripture to don't do that is not because God is at his wit's end screaming over the seat. If I got to pull this car over, you know, that's not where he's at at all. Right? His command, his correction, more than anything. Hebrews even talks about it later, how we discipline our children, and really a great deal of our discipline of our children is for our benefit. Because they're driving us bonkers. And it's for our pleasure and our peace and our quiet. Right? We want all these things. We, we make it very known. How much this is about me. And if you don't, and then I'm gonna. God doesn't come at us from that direction at all. You can almost see the tear in his eye as he's saying, man, that is gonna just rip you apart. You've got to stop. Not for him. So, so understand, right? It isn't a pass. He doesn't say, oh, you're my child. You want to be my child? Okay, you're born again. Poof, magic. And now just go do whatever you want. What he's saying is, you want to be my child, then there are rules and there are consequences and there is discipline. Right? What a drag to spend the rest of your life getting spanked. 
Oh, God, I want to be a child of God. Please give me your Holy Spirit. Cause me to be born again. In Jesus' name, amen. And then rebel, spank, rebel, spank, rebel, spank. Rest of your life? Come on, man. You got to grow up. Got to change. Got to realize God has your best interest in heart. When we hang out with, I was just, somebody was asking me about my school and what things I went through. And I was just so embarrassed to start recounting, you know, the, the suspensions and the expulsions and the fistfights with teachers. And, the, you know, it was crazy. The stuff that I went through in school. Oh, if I'd only paid attention and just done the work and, you know, gleaned all of the things that would begin. The biggest reason that I was going through all that, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was listening to the advice of people that were at least as dumb as me, if not more dumb than me. And I was pay I'm paying the consequences. So it is with our relationship with God. Yeah, you're accepted. Yes, he loves you, no matter what. No matter what you do, no matter what you fail at, no, he, he loves you as you are. But he does want you to change, right? What's that old statement? He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. It's, it's really quite a thought. And, and when we have this perception of God, that this is his relationship with us, total acceptance, Right, right the way you are right now. God accepts you. This is what the author of Hebrews is trying to sell. You don't have to have a special sacrifice. You don't have to give and work and plead and, you know, conjole your way into God's approval. He, he approves of you right now. All of the correction and the guidance is to do with your benefit. It's, it's how he's helping you. So let's let's round the rest of this out here. Um, so uh, he's of the order of Melchizedek uh, for uh, 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of the weakness and unprofitableness for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, it made perfectly clear how sinful we were, right? That's, that's what the law uh, did. On the other hand, there is... Uh, the bringing in of a better hope through uh, through which he drew near to we draw near to God and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath for they have become priests without an oath but he with an oath by him who said to him the Lord has sworn and will not relent you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, quoting Psalm 110, verse 4 again. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. That's why there isn't Jesus and then Buddha, and then Mohammed, and then, you know, as Buddhism mostly implies that, that there are continually new Christs that are coming. Not so. One Christ, all time. There was a priesthood that symbolized Christ, and when Christ came, then he nullified that priesthood because he's never going to die. His priesthood goes on. The only reason that a high priest was changed, right, was because of death. No death for Jesus, so no priesthood to be changed. He continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That old statement, he saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. Beautiful picture. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. The priests were not separate from sinners, were they? They were sinners themselves. Jesus is not. And has become higher than the heavens. 
who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. That was the priests of Aaron's line of Levi, not Jesus. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Jesus Christ finished this relationship with God, right? And that's his final statement at the cross, right? It is finished. To tell us die. What did the priesthood need? What did the law need? What were all the requirements? Jesus finished them. I'll remind us in closing, Philippians 1.6. The church at Philippi had these same questions, right? I screw up all the time. I want to do good things. I do bad things, <laughs> you know. I know I should do good things, instead I'm doing bad things. I can't get any of this right. It's constant struggle. My flesh is always in the way. You know, just as I think I've taken one step forward, I take two steps back. I'm paraphrasing what Paul answers and says in Philippians 1.6. The positive encouragement of, look, I am confident of this. And I'll say this to every one of us here this evening, myself included, but you also. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, even unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to stop. He's going to continue to work. You know, our best option is to cooperate with that work, to, to just submit to whatever he's doing in our lives, and then bear the fruit of it. You know, it isn't just like, you know, labor, labor, labor in Christianity. Well, and then I got to turn all of these proceeds over to God. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's respond to the love of the Lord, and a massive amount of that ends up in your life, in your existence. Yes, God reaps benefit. Yes, God's kingdom is established. But we're the main recipients of that relationship. Amen? Amen. Well, we stand and we'll pray. Pick up with chapter 8 next week. Father, again, we thank you very much for your love and your grace. And we pray that you would work in each of our hearts and minds. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us. Fulfill what you want to in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.